Welcome to the God Life with Pastor Dolapo Lawal, the lead pastor of the Zoe household. His desire is to bring you to the consciousness of the Zoe life that has been made available to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen and be equipped. <laughs> All right, thank you, Linda. So we have, um, you know, we're going to be praying in, in, in the Holy Ghost for seven hours, and I think it's important that I establish the need for that. That one I would do on Friday. Um, but today I would start with what happened that day, you know, the day called the day of Pentecost, and then we can now move subsequently to what they did. All right, so... Be ready to write. Really write. Alright. So let's start from here. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Alright. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And um, I know you know that some people call themselves, or some sects of Christianity call themselves Pentecostal Christians. Some say they're Orthodox. Some, you know, Pentecostal charismatic ministry and all that. And maybe this is where they got that word from. I don't know because I wasn't there when that movement started. But I want to assume that the reason why Christians, some people call themselves Pentecostal Christians is because um, they are referring to charismatic ministry that started, um, quote and unquote, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. All right. Um, and, um, well, I will not say that the train of thought is wrong in itself but but I think there is more there is more to see all right yes and everything I want to say I'm going to say respectfully you know but I think there is more there is more to it okay so he says and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place so the first car that was driven in the New Testament was Honda because they were in one accord. <laughs> okay, no jokes. <laughs> and when the, <laughs> when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Osinachi did not say anything. I'm amazed. It's fine. Okay, no jokes. Um, so the word Pentecost is not a spiritual word. You know, there are many words we assume are spiritual words. For example, hallelujah. <laughs> says an heavenly language. It really isn't. All right? Because hallelujah is what we find the angels saying in heaven. It's true. But the angels also say holy. That means holy is an heavenly language. And also we find angels saying, look, open the book. So... All the words in the book of Revelations that angels spoke to John, quote and unquote, should be heavenly language then. <laughs> so you see? So hallelujah is really not an heavenly language. It's just one of the words that describe praise in scriptures. All right. It's called Alal. There's Barak, there is Yada, there's uh, there is Tehila, there's Toda, there is you know, Zamar and all that. So same thing with this word, Pentecost. It's not, it's not an heavenly language. It's not a spiritual word. It simply means 70 days or 50 days, sorry. Pentecost. It means 50 days after Passover. All right. It's simply an anniversary. See, an anniversary 50 days after Passover. Passover was translated from the Aramaic to Greek as Pascha. All right. So Pentecost is counting 50 days after the Passover. So it's a day. And we saw it in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And you also find that word in Acts chapter 20 verse 16. 
It was just used, you know, to describe an event, all right? Not a particular event, but an event as regards to anniversary or ceremony or a mark in calendar. It's just like saying, um, like saying, um, Christmas, something like that. Acts 20 verse 16. For Paul had determined to sail to Ephesus because it was not, because he would not spend the time in Asia for he instead, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost. So you can see that the day of Pentecost was not a day that happened for speaking in tongues. It was a day that had been happening and continued to happen after Acts chapter 2. Do you understand the point I just made? So after there was a day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the next year there was another feast of Pentecost and every other year. So the word Pentecostal does not mean a specific time that the Holy Ghost came upon people. Do you understand the point I'm trying to make? All right. So it was coming year after year and it had happened also years before Jesus was even born. All right. So it was a day for a feast, like a celebration of of what occurred, not what will occur. So the day of Pentecost did not start with the early church. That means it is not a Christian feast. Now that is very important. Remember, we are speaking doctrinally. So if you call yourself a Pentecostal Christian, it means you are already mixing Judaism with Christianity. Because it didn't start Acts chapter 2. In fact, Acts chapter 2, that day of Pentecost was used as a mark in the calendar to describe what happened that day. So Pentecostalism, quote and unquote, is not consistent with what we call the New Testament. All right. It's actually something that was in Judaism. And let's look at something. Why it's important to make this extremely clear. All right. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians. Are you getting blessed already? <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3. No, Colossians chapter 2, sorry. Verse 16. It says, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to an holy day. Are you reading this? Or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. All right. If you do a good study of um, Hebrews, you realize that Hebrews chapter four, actually, you realize that Sabbath is a person. Jesus says Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for Sabbath. And the writer of Hebrews makes us understand that Jesus is Sabbath because Sabbath means rest. All right. And Jesus told us that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. All right. So he says, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to an holy day or of the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come but the body is of Christ. All right? Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. All right? So what he's saying here is venerations, all these special days. I don't know if you've been in, you know, you've heard stuff like that. And I know that these people do it just in sincerity. We just pray that the Lord will open the eyes of their understanding to see in Jesus' mighty name. But sometimes you hear people say, the seventh day, um, Colossians 2, Colossians chapter 2, 16 to 18. All right. Sometimes you find people saying, on the seventh day of the seventh month, there is something specific. There is something peculiar about today. All right. All those things is not consistent with the New Testament. The reason is because we are in Christ and we being in Christ means we are in the spirit. And if we are in the spirit, we don't have a yesterday. We don't have a tomorrow. If there is a yesterday in the spirit, then tomorrow can end. All right. The spirit is a continuation. It's just like a day. 
The Bible tells us we are going to a new Jerusalem, which there will be no night nor day. So that's the life of the spirit. It's, it's an endless life. It's an everlasting life. All right. And so it says, don't be judged in days and all these things whatsoever. So it's kind of um, weird that we might want to describe ourselves, you know, as regards to a particular day. Actually, the Bible says to not do so. All right. It was a day for a feast, like a celebration of what occurred, not what will occur. For example, you celebrate your birthday because you were born. You don't celebrate your birthday to be born, all right? So the day of Pentecost was to celebrate something that had happened. So it had nothing to do with betting what happened in Acts chapter 2. Do you understand that? That's very important. So the day of Pentecost was lucky that what occurred on the day of Pentecost happened that day. It was not that the day produced the event. If that was the case, then we will all have to wait for the day of Pentecost to speak in tongues. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think that is important. So let's see the origin of this, this, this word. All right. Leventicus 23 verse 2. Leventicus 23 verse 2. Leventicus 23 verse 2. It says, speak, I'm going to read verse 2 and I'm going to read verse 15 and 16. I'll read Leventicus 23. I'll read verse 2, verse 15 and verse 16. It says, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, concerning feasts of the Lord. There were many feasts in the Bible, by the way, and I'm going to teach about that and how that brings us to the New Testament one time. It says, which ye shall proclaim to be only convocations. Even these are my feasts. All right. So this is where you, this is the, the genesis of the book, the, the, the Passover and um, the celebration of the Passover and Pentecost. Look at verse 15. It says, and you shall count unto you from morrow after Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the shaft of the wave offering seven sabbaths shall be complete so that's seven even unto tomorrow even unto the morrow after seven sabbaths shall ye number 50 days and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the lord so this is where the pentecost started from god says you will count 70 70 plus tomorrow all right, so that's 49 plus 150. It says, you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. All right, so if you read all the four Gospels, tell us that Jesus died the Passover day, which is very, very symbolic. That should even blow your mind already. That Jesus died on the Passover day. And you know what Passover is? The, the day that there was blood spilled and put on the door of the children of Israel. And when the angel of death passed, saw the blood and passed over. All right. Apparently, that was the same day that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, also died. And guess what? The provision for Jesus and the, the beautiful thing about the Passover provision is this. It was a product of a message. It was not a product of a people or inheritance. I want to say that very clear so you don't miss what I'm saying. It's true that God called the children of Israel as his people. But what saved them in Egypt that day was a knowledge of God that they had. God said, if you put blood, I will pass over. So if an Egyptian got the information that he should put blood on his door. God didn't mind what they were doing in the house. Think about it. That day was, everybody was crying. Hey! Because firstborns were dying. All right? So everybody was, Egypt was, imagine in every house, somebody died. So everybody was crying. And the children of Israel were just like, hey, hope we too will not die. They were in fear, but they had the blood. And God didn't mind what they were doing. God said, I really don't care. Just believe in the fact that the blood can save you. If you put it, you're good. 
And that's just a typology of the salvation that we have received in Christ Jesus. I hope this is making sense. All right. So God, so that's the Passover. Then seven, seven, that seven Sabbaths plus one because of the marrow, the, 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 the moral that it starts from makes it 50, which will now be a feast of meat. All right. Meat offering unto the Lord, which is the Passover. So it was a festival. That's why the Bible says devote men out of all nations came. You understand? Um, if you read on, you see, it says devote man in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, devote men from all nations came, you know, to celebrate the Passover, um, to celebrate Pentecost. So it was a festival. All right. So what is a festival? Then in theology, or in Bible interpretation, there is something called the law of first mention. So most of the time you have to check where this word was first used. And you find it in, in Genesis 1 verse 14. Genesis 1 verse 14. You know, I'm interpreting definitely in the, in the Hebrew, so not the Greek right now. Um, Praise God. Let me just open that already. <clears throat> but so far, are we clear? No, nobody is confused, Abby. All right. So it says, And God said, Let there be light in the firmament of the heaven, to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So the word is first mentioned here in the word seasons and the word is mu'awd. Mu'awd is spelled, but that's mu'awd, that's how it's pronounced, but it's spelled M-O-A-D-E, right? And what it means is appointment all right it means a congregation feast season appointed a specific time all right an assembly solemn solemn days signs and even one time it was used in the bible to mean synagogue all right i think that's important so it's more than it's more it's more like a festival it's a season it also means an appointed or a congregation with a reason all right you're going to understand why i'm taking you through all this feasts all right season time assembly all right this is the meaning of 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 feast all right so why did they celebrate feasts why did they celebrate feasts we read leviticus 23 verse 2 verse 15 16 where we saw the passover and we also saw pentecost but why did they celebrate it we have to go to leviticus 22 now so let's go to leviticus 22 it was the reason that birthed the instructions all right so leviticus 22 verse 32 why did they celebrate this feast? Neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you, that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So they celebrated the feast. This is the reason why they celebrated the feast. They celebrated the feast so that they can hallow God's holy name. They celebrated the feast to recognize God's deliverance. Listen, you, I don't want you to miss this. This is key. They celebrated to the feast to celebrate and to remember God's deliverance. Look at verse 33. That brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So God is saying, see, I didn't just bring you out for bringing you out sick. I brought you out so that I can be your God and I can be your Lord. In other words, I brought you out to be my people. I brought you out 
to have a relationship with you. I brought you out as a people to govern and rule you so that you can extend the frontiers of my kingdom on the earth. Do you understand this? So they were not just brought out for bringing out sick. No, the Bible says he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light that we may show forth his praises. All right. Amplified Bible says to show forth his beauties and excellencies. So there was a reason why God brought us out. He brought us out to take us in. And when he took us in, what did he do with us? To show forth the praises of he that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God is saying, you're going to celebrate feast. But the reason why you're celebrating the feast is to remember my deliverance. All right. You will remember my deliverance, how I brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. All right. And I've told you the word God. I've explained that. But that word Lord is the word curious. It means owner. So I brought you out to be your owner. I brought you, I brought you out and me bringing you out is me buying you over. You are now mine, my own possession. All right. Why did they celebrate feast? Exodus 6. Let's read Exodus 6, verse 6 to 8. How do you spell O? Beautiful. It is spelled M-O-E-D. Moed. All right. Did you get that? Yes, sir. Thank you. M-O. M-O-A-D-E. Sorry. M-O-A-D-E. All right. All right. So let's go on. Exodus 6. We'll read Exodus 6 to 8. All right. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. All right. We are looking at the genesis of this matter. And I will read you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you. Oh my God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of Egyptians. And I will bring. Sorry, one second. Let me try and get comfortable. And I will bring you into unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. All right. So now these people. Okay. Then let me talk about that. Let me go to verse six. So we. Yeah, let me go to verse 6. Exodus 6, verse 6. It says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptians, and I will read you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgment. So the, the key word in all this is redemption. Say redemption. So the key word is redemption. God wanted to redeem them. He wanted to take them back. The word redemption is the word gal. It is spelled G-A-A-L. Gal. All right. And while redemption can just mean restoration, it's much more than that. All right. Because the word is actually a cultural word referring to oriental law of kingship, not kingship, kingship. The word is used for a blood relative or spouse who acts on your behalf. I'm going to show you examples where it was used in scriptures. So, so a redeemed, listen, listen, don't miss this. So, a redeemed is family. A redeemed is family. All right. So in the culture of the word, it means to avenge. So this is the word, the meaning of re redemption. Don't miss this. 
the word gal. This is what it means. It means to avenge for a kinsman, to buy back a relative's property, or to buy back or to claim a property on behalf of a family member. Remember what God said. He said, this thing that I'm about to give to you, I swore this thing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? So God is saying, I'm calling you out to redeem what belongs to your family member. And God is saying, I belong to Abraham. I I really hope you can get this. It's so powerful. I belong to Abraham. I belong to Isaac. I belong to Jacob. I'm calling you out, not just so that I can take you back, so you can take your portion in me back. That's the meaning of the word redemption. So you find Paul saying something like this. Let me show you. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1. So you find Paul saying some words and you're wondering, what's this, what does this guy mean? But he knows what he's saying. Ephesians chapter 1. Are you getting blessed? Are you understanding? Yes, sir. All right. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, look at what he says in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So he's telling us that just the way we have an inheritance in God, God also has an inheritance in us. We are that loaded. He says there is an inheritance in the saints. All right. So that's that's the entire thing. That's that's the meaning of the word redemption. All right. It is always used. All right. To refer to family. I cannot redeem my father's. I cannot redeem my friend's property. His son should redeem it. Because that's a blood relative. All right. So when we're saying redemption, we're saying taking back what is yours. I hope you know that everybody, we were all made in the image and after the likeness of God is true. But after the fall, we fell from that image. I hope you know, everybody is not made in the image of God right now. Okay. That's, that might sound weird. Let me show you. Um, Hebrews. No, no, no. Colossians, sorry. Colossians. Chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Let's read from verse 13. It says, Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Oh, glory to God. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? So who is the image of God? Hebrews chapter 1. Now let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. So when we say we were made in the image of God, we are not talking about a form. We are actually speaking about a life. So the image of God is not what somebody looks like. The image of God is the inside and the composition of the assignment of Christ. Do you understand? So if you say, ah, we're all made in the image of God, you are wrong. All Christians have the image of God because the image of God is not something. The express image of his person is Christ. I hope you're understanding this. So Jesus is the express image of his person. So everybody doesn't have the image of God. No. We had the image of God in Genesis. Then man fell. 
So the image of God is a person. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the image of God. All right, let me read that to you again. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. All right, let me read again Colossians. Just for clarity, Colossians verse 1, chapter 1, verse 15. It says, who is the image of the invisible God? Do you understand what we're saying? So when we say image, we're referring to a person. Hallelujah. Are we making progress? All right, let's let's go back. So when we're talking redemption, we're speaking as regards to the word gal is referring to family. All right. And I'm just going to read that again for clarity. The word is used for blood relative or spouse who acts on, on your behalf. So a redeemed is family. So in the culture of the word, it means to avenge for a kinsman, to buy back a relative's property, or to buy back or to claim a purchased property on behalf of a family member. So let's look at the word, how the word was used. Genesis 48 verse 16. Genesis 48 verse 16. Genesis 48 verse 16. Let's make progress. The angel who also redeemed me from all harm. You see that now. The angel who also redeemed me from all harm. Right? Exodus 6 verse 6. Exodus 6 verse 6. I'm, I'm skipping, I'm going to the part B. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment, which is what we just read. Exodus 15 verse 13. Exodus 15 verse 13. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. Right? You see, that is always referring to relationship with people that are with him, like kings, kinsmen. All right, Exodus 21 verse 30. And there are many other examples, but I'll just give four. Exodus 21 verse 30. However, the dead person's relative may accept payment to compensate for the loss of life. The owner of the ox may redeem his life by paying whatever is demanded. This is talking about sharing of possessions for the deceased. All right. So, the nature of the word shows to act on someone's behalf. I don't know if you noticed that. Or what we read, somebody was acting on somebody's behalf. Let me read it again. Genesis 48 verse 16. The angel who has redeemed me from all harm. So, he couldn't redeem himself. An angel was acting on his behalf. Do you understand? You cannot redeem yourself. All right. I will redeem you with my powerful arm and great acts of judgment. All right. 15, Exodus 15, verse 13. With your unfailing Lord, love, you lead the people you have redeemed. So you can see that somebody is acting on behalf of somebody. All right. So the nature of the word shows to act on someone's behalf. It's, you know, are you here? Those are people that don't like the Trina message. Are you here? Yes, sir. All right. So what we can say is the basis of the feast is about what? Who can try? From all what we read, remember why we said there was a feast in the first place? So that they can remember how God delivered them from Egypt. Abi? God said, you will do this feast so you can remember how I delivered you from Egypt. See me, don't worry. Your, your camera is on. I don't want you to answer. It's like you're on the spotlight. And I'm not putting you on the spot. You're safe. So if God is saying, celebrate this feast so that so you can remember how I delivered you from Egypt to bring you to be my people and for me to be your God. So what is the feast about? What is the feast? This holy convocation. What is it about? Nobody should be silent on me. What is this feast about? Karen, are you here? Yes, sir. What is this feast about? To celebrate Christ. 
to celebrate, I get what you are saying, yes. In the long run, <laughs> yeah. But here... To remember that this is him redeeming us. Exactly. So the feast was a celebration of redemption. So the feast of Pentecost was a celebration of redemption from Passover. Remember, the Pentecost is for seven Sabbaths plus a marrow. That's where they get the word Pentecost for 50 days after Passover. All right. So it was a celebration of redemption. Are we together? It was a celebration of redemption. So this is why God used the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Why did God use the day of Pentecost? I'm not going to explain that. You know, so some people be like, oh, so many parables, what's going on? All right. Look at Leviticus 23 verse 15 again. It says, and you shall count unto you from the marrow after Sabbath, from the day that ye, were, that ye brought the shaft of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So seven times seven, all right? Mm. Even unto the marrow after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number 50 days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Are we making progress? So God is saying seven times seven plus a marrow. All right. Now, that means seven times seven. The number seven is the number of rest and the number of completion. So God is saying the Pentecost will be, pay attention, will be completion times completion. So God is saying seven times seven is the completion. I don't want you to miss me. Remember I said completion seven times seven. Completion times completion. And we know it's always in the nature of God that there will always be a day for rest. That day for rest was the day he made man. You need to catch what I'm saying. After God worked for six days, what did he do on the seventh day? He rested and then he made man in his rest. So if God is going to recreate a new man, he will have to recreate the new man after a completion of a work in his rest. So there is seven, a completion of forgiveness of sin. All right. So seven times seven is the completion of the completion of the finished works of Christ. So what do I mean? So it doesn't look like, mm, what it was, mm, they have come again. No. There was a completion of the finished works of Christ, but it was incomplete without the Holy Ghost coming into us. So there is a completion of the finished works, but they have to be a completion of the outpouring of that works from within us. And that had to be done in the day of rest, which is the seven times seven in plus a marrow, which is the Pentecost. Do you understand? Shaitan, do you understand what I just said? Yes, sir, I did. All right, beautiful. So, seven times seven is completion of the finished works of Christ. The finished work was the drinking of the cup of God's wrath, which I've taught you about. Comma, <laughs> the completion, the second completion is the, com the completion is the Holy Spirit in us, the indwelling of the Spirit within us. Now, why did God have to speak every time parable, parable, parable? The reason is very simple. Now, I'll give some reasons, all right? God has to speak in parables because, number one, they don't understand spiritual stuff these guys understand they don't understand spiritual stuff all right 
they were a stick, stiff neck generation. God declared them so. God looked at them and said, these guys are stiff neck men. These guys, I don't understand. So, first is, the, the first is, they don't understand spiritual stuff. Psalm 78, verse 2. Psalm 78, verse 2. Now we need to rush, guys. Psalm 78, verse 2. It says, I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old. The word parable, the transliteration is Mashal. All right? Mashal. It is spelled M-A-S-H-A-L. M-A-S-H-A-L. Mashal. It means it's metaphorical in nature and say simile. So it will mean an adage, a poem, parable, byword, or a proverb. All right. Dark sayings. Remember what we read. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. So the dark sayings there is chida. Chida is spelled C-H-I-Y-D-A-H. C-H-I-Y-D-A-H. All right? It means redo, add question, proverb, or a coded speech, dark speech. So why parables? Why is God speaking to them in parables and in proverbs? Look at why. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, Matthew 13, Matthew 13. Hey, my mom is here. Matthew 13, verse 10. Matthew 13, verse 10. We're going to read to verse 15. All right? Matthew 13, verse 10 to 15. It says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it is not given. For whosoever at to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever had not, from him shall be taken even that which he had. Therefore, now this, some people will use it to say, if you don't have something, God will take that one. No, that's not what it means. He's speaking as regards to a revelation or a knowledge of God. All right? That's, that's, you can't. You cannot interpret the text out of the context. Do you get what I'm saying? So he's speaking about the Jews. They have a revelation of God. They have um, they have um, a walk with God. But Jesus is saying because of this, their profaneness, that which they they have will be taken and be given to another person. Who are who can try the Gentiles, people like you and I. All right. The rejection of the people of Israel, of God's perfect plan and his leadership, opened the door for us quickly. We Gentiles. All right? But we are no longer Gentiles. We are now people of God and people that our unbelievers are Gentiles. All right? So, it says, For whosoever at to him shall be given, and he, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever had not, from him shall be taken away even that which he had. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. See why Jesus. It says, because they seen, they seen, see not. Please follow this. And hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, by hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have been closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and should be healed. So Jesus is not saying, I am wicked, and I'm purposely speaking to them in parables, so that they will not understand what I'm saying. No. Because it can be confusing sometimes, all right? And I've thought that way before, that Jesus was purposely speaking in parables so that they will not understand, but the disciples will understand. No. Actually, Jesus speaking in parables was in his mercy. Jesus said, you, I can speak to you plainly. 
Because all the things I want to say, if I tell you now, for example, that I'm the kingdom of God, you can understand. He says, but these people, I can't tell them I'm the kingdom of God because hearing, they cannot hear. Seeing, they cannot see. So I have to use illustrations for them because they are babies. Do you understand? When you see your teacher in school, so the parables of Jesus, and many people get this wrong. They think that Jesus was speaking parables because he didn't want the children of Israel to understand. No, that's wickedness. Jesus was actually speaking parables because if he tell them the thing plainly, they will not understand and they will fight. So Jesus says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. Jesus says, you know not the scriptures and that is why you err. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you had understood scriptures, you would have known that I'm the Messiah. Because there are over 301 prophecies in your book that shows that I'm the Messiah. Only if you have read the scriptures. I don't know if you noticed. In the book of John, the first thing that Andrew proclaimed about Jesus was to tell people that I have found the Christ. That was the first thing he said. That's a Bible scholar. Many people don't know this. John actually recognized Jesus by prophetic influence and also from scriptures. Let me tell you how I know. When John was doubting if Jesus was the Messiah, you know what Jesus said? He said, tell John that the blind receive their sight. That was a messianic sign. Nobody had ever healed the blind. Can you guys hear me? Before Jesus, nobody, there had never been any miracle of healing the blind. There were two miracles that had never been done. Number one is healing the blind. Um, there are more, actually. Number one is healing the blind. Number two is healing somebody that is deaf. There is no record in the Old Testament where these miracles happened. There were 11 miracles of raising the dead in the Bible. Not only Jesus raised the dead. But Jesus was the first person to raise the dead after four days. And there is a cultural understanding of that as a Sadducee and a Pharisee. All right? But we're not going into all that today. So when Jesus says, tell, tell John that the blind receive their sight, that was a messianic sign. Because let's go to Luke 4, verse 18. Are we together? Anybody lost? We are still together, Abby. We're on course. Ah. All right. Luke 4, verse 18. Luke 4, verse 18. See what Jesus read about in the book of Isaiah, what is written about him. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind. So Jesus will heal your blindness. You don't, you cannot see. As a token that he can heal your spiritual blindness. Jesus will raise somebody from the dead after four days, which seems impossible when the body has decayed. You need to catch this. As a token that on the day of resurrection, even if you died one million years and your body has decayed, if I can raise Lazarus when his body was decaying and he became a human being, trust that I can raise you after one million years in case I don't come in one million years. The earthly miracles were tokens for spiritual realities. So when Jesus was healing the blind, physical blindness, he was healing physical blindness as a token to trust that he can heal spiritual blindness. When he was healing spirit, physical deafness, he was using it as a token to say that I can heal your spiritual deafness. Do you understand what we're saying? All right. So let's go back to what we were reading. So when Jesus speaks to them in parable, these guys were spiritually deaf. If Jesus says I'm the Messiah, they want to stone him. So what would Jesus do? Jesus will use parables to pass his message across. 
Jesus wanted to speak about his resurrection, but he can't say, listen, I will just die. But he could tell his disciples that in Matthew 16. But he didn't tell the Pharisees and Sadducees that. Instead, he told a parable about the wheat falling to the ground, the corn of wheat falling to the ground. Do you understand what we're saying? So Jesus will use illustrations, just like a teacher. You say, and many people in Nigeria are like that. If you say two, 20 plus 20, if you ask a child 20 plus 20, he will not know it. But if you say 20 naira plus 20 naira, he will say 40 naira. Once you put money, their understanding will open. <laughs> but no money they can't get. So Jesus will use what they can relate to. All right, that's parables. All right, marshals, riddles, illustrations. So Jesus is talking about the word of God. Then he starts to talk about a seed because they are farmers. So if you cannot understand that you plant the word of God in your heart, can you understand that if you plant your seed on a stony ground, it will not work? Do you understand? So Jesus is trying to break it down. To them so the parables of jesus was actually a product of his mercy it was not jesus being wicked that ah, i don't want them to get it no they couldn't get it so he resorted to parables are you understanding this all right so now we've established the reasons for parables now having established that so what happened on the day of Pentecost, and we'll close here, and definitely I'll continue tomorrow so I can just saw on Friday. What happened on the day of Pentecost was this. That seven times seven, completion and completion, God made it a holy convocation. Remember what we call the feast. Don't forget. Let me read it to you again. We said the feast, the word feast is what? Muhad. Muhade. If anyhow you want to pronounce it. Muhad in the Hebrew. And what it means is a congregation or an appointed congregation. It's not everybody that does festival. Festival is for people that believe the same thing. Do you do a Gungu festival? You don't do. Uh -huh. But you do Easter. Praise the Lord. So you can understand that a festival is a congregation, an appointed congregation of people that believe the same thing. In a festival, we celebrate what we believe. So in the day of Pentecost, you need to catch this. That feast, there was a holy convocation. There was an appointed congregation of 120 to announce the reality of the shadow of Pentecost. So when they spoke in tongues, listen, you need to catch this. Speaking in tongues is an evidence of the indwelling of the spirits. So as they spoke in tongues, they showed that there was a completion of the Passover. Do you get this? Remember, the Passover was somebody died to cover sin. Somebody died for safety. All right? Then the Pentecost was a holy convocation to remember deliverance. So what God did on the day of Pentecost was to collaborate. All right, that typology, the shadow, Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the real thing in itself. So he collaborated the typology with the reality. So as they began to speak in tongues, there was now the fulfillment, the evidence that the Pentecost, zozo, grozo, tozo, desi, the typology of the Pentecost has now been simplified. It is now gotten. So if you notice, in the New Testament, 
Then Paul starts to say, listen, we don't celebrate days. We are the ones that make things happen on days. We are not waiting. Jesus says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you understand this? So we are the ones that bring the, the actions into the days. We bring in the events into the days. So what God did on the day of Pentecost was a collaboration or the fulfillment, let me say, the fulfillment of the typology of the Pentecost to show that all along this Pentecost was a completion of my Passover, who is the Christ, and the indwelling of the Spirit. So when they spoke in tongues, Peter started to prophesy. He said, listen, so that's telling you that Peter knew what he was talking about. Peter said, listen, we are not drunk. This was what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. So Peter was preaching to them that, listen, let me tell you something. This is not drinking. This is true Pentecost. Do you get this? This is true Pentecost. That Pentecost that you went to celebrate in Jerusalem is a shadow. The Pentecost that God has been talking about is a completion of the completeness of his finished works, which is the indwelling of the Spirit. We spoke in tongues showing you that the Spirit of God is now in us. That is the seven times seven. And then the one day which God said was the marrow, just like I explained, God created man on the day of his rest. So there is a complete walk. Catch it. There is a complete walk. Jesus had died. Holy Spirit was waiting. Then we were now born by the finished works of Jesus and by the Holy Ghost. So when Peter will put it, he says we were born of the word, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, the infallible word of truth. So how were we born? On the day of Pentecost, this is what happened. Passover, Jesus had died. The Holy Spirit is already shared abroad and is waiting. All right? And then the marrow, which was the day of rest, if God walked, what will God do? He will rest. That's the typology we see in Genesis. All right? And then what did God do on the day he rested? He created man. So the complete work of 49 days, 7 times 7, all right? One day of rest, the new creation was created. Which is the evidence of speaking in tongues. Showing you that this is not the normal human being. This is not a human being that is looking for the spirits. This is not a human being that the spirit comes upon. This is a human being that you should find if you are looking for spirits. Do you understand? This human being is not looking for the Holy Ghost. This human being is how to meet the Holy Ghost. Do you people understand what I'm saying? Is it clear? Amyolua, do you understand? Is Amyolua here? Ah, some people have... Amyolua, do you understand? All right. So, all my talk left and right, and by God's grace, tomorrow... I will explain, by God's grace, I will explain, um, we'll teach about first, about feasts some other time, but I'll see how to explain what happened on the day of Pentecost, how the day of Pentecost was a uh, commemoration of what happened on Mount Sinai to witness a new covenant. So we're going to be doing a counter comparison with what happened on Mount Sinai and what happened on the day of Pentecost. All right. So I hope you guys understand what I said. Is it clear? Everybody. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Yes. Fantastic. And Angela understands. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful.